Technology can't replace essential human strengths such as creativity, vision, and ethical judgment, but it enables people to solve problems at a grander scale and speed. Technology is only as powerful as those who build, use, and improve it. On today's episode of the Future Focus Terminal, we'll discuss AI, digital transformation, cybersecurity, and how humans put the spark in technology. Welcome back to the Future Focus Terminal podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Fairchild. And we are going to talk today about how human ingenuity puts the spark into technology. With me today is Matt Kozar from my very own sales and marketing team and innovator Mark Mills. Matt, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and then turn it over to Mark to do the same. Shauna, first, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, my name is Matt Kozar. I'm the vice president of sales and marketing for Con Global. I've been in the industry for about 17 years in various roles, uh, from operations to sales uh, with railroads and IMCs, uh, so know the business very well and excited to talk a little bit about our technology today. Absolutely. Glad to have you. All right, Mark, how about you? Yeah, good morning, Sean. Mark Mills, I'm with Communication Concepts, President of Communication Concepts Integration. We've been in the industry for about 25 years. Last 13 years, we have been focused on developing our own machine learning based units, which we've deployed in the uh, logistical warehousing and distribution verticals. All right, great. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Let's go ahead and dive right in. So when we think about AI, people probably think about robots. Maybe they think about even Siri on their phone. And probably the latest hot topic is chat GPT. But AI, that's really been around for a long time, I think since the 1950s. But when it first came out, it was really about, you know, how do I you know, think about automating or replacing what a human does with machinery. But I think that's really starting to evolve. So when they talk about intelligence, I think it's become about not just, you know, replacing what a human does with machinery, but I think that that machinery has to start problem solving and adapting and changing. So let's think about that and about artificial intelligence. And I think that, you know, People maybe have some curiosity around it, but maybe a little bit of fear. And can you help us, Mark, as the expert, understand a little bit more about really what AI is beyond you know what we've talked about so far? Sure, Shauna. Uh, machine learning and AI is the ability for a machine to perform cognitive functions that we typically associate with the human mind. So things like perception, learning, problem solving, interaction with the environment are all things that AI will be able to do. And soon it'll be able to offer an emotional response to external stimuli. Applied AI is just when we start to apply AI or artificial intelligence to a specific business function or process. So um, by using AI, a company can be more productive, uh, more profitable, and more efficient. But the companies that really are going to see the value of AI are the ones that use AI to supplement and enhance their workforce, their human workforce. It is not a replacement for the human workforce. It enables the human workforce to be much more efficient, safer, and, and uh, more productive. So that's why exactly why we work with you here at Con Global is we are looking to enhance our workforce and really, you know, we've chosen to part with, with you because we're exactly aligned in that. 
and we are working with you with technology created by operators for operators, because again, we're still working alongside with humans. Um, can you really elaborate a little bit? You mentioned machine learning, but what is machine learning? Machine learning is a combination of computer science and a robust data set. So using algorithms that are associated with, that are developed by computer scientists, we can train these units, algorithms on data, with data, and they're then able to predict patterns and provide analysis and results from external um, images or data that they see and collected. Okay. Deep learning is a type of uh, machine learning that exploits the, um, the availability of the computer to use neural networks. So recently, uh, we have part hardware products which now use neural networks, which really are almost the foundation of our brain. The very simplest form of, or how we process data within a human brain is via a neural network. So our machine using hardware that uses neural networks, we can now be much more efficient and solve larger problems qu quicker uh, if we deploy a deep learning model or write code or write our algorithms using a deep learning infrastructure. Okay, so our Avira 360 technology ecosystem uses machine vision. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, the machine vision uh, that we use in the Avira product set is based on, again, deep learning. So machine vision is really what what we're trying to what we're we're doing here is that we're evaluating things the machine sees. So it, it, uh, a good example is we had uh, students over about five hundred of them at a STEM program, and one of the only there's one uh, young man there who I pointed to the very spot and I said, "What are those two things for?" And he said, "Those are its eyes," and he's referring to the cameras. So what these systems do is they look and make analysis without touching. So our, our products, the Verispot and Sido, are able to classify, identify, locate assets by merely looking at them using deep learning in um, machine vision. Those, both those products have been trained on specifically in the logistics vertical, containers, chassis, trailers, tankers, reefers, and this, these will classify and identify these units, whether it's day, night, rain or sunshine, and any time um, of the day. One of the things that I'm frequently asked is, well, how long does it, how do you, how much data do you need to train a machine? I'll say that we started developing our machine in 2016, and probably to date, we've looked at, it has seen a couple million, a few million, I shouldn't say a couple, a few million images, which makes it quite proficient in understanding what it's seeing and identifying it. And we, there's two, but there's two big, there are two main components of that. The first thing is, is what algorithm and how much data you have, what algorithm you're using, how you can adapt to new algorithms as they're, as they're released from the research community and your training models. How, what techniques do you use to train your machine so that if there's a slight change or an update, you're able to quickly adapt. And data being key, one of the things I'll tell you, uh, um, a personal story on that, Sean, is that we have, we've trained our machine, started in 2016, 
and it was like it, it, it was classifying and identifying. And then in 2018, it started to read graffiti. No one trained it on graffiti. It just started to read it by itself. So we're looking at results, and then the unit starts to spit out. I saw this painted on a rail car or painted on the container. So it's at the state now, and obviously it's continuing evolving, where now it is able to see something and recognize it that it wasn't directly taught. It just understands from its past experience and all the images and data it is, it is recorded and, and been exposed to in the past, something new in its environment. So a couple of things that you said stood out to me. Um, one of them is when you talked about all of the equipment. So that's one of the things that's really impressive about the Verispot unit that I just love is we are equipment agnostic. So when you think about other things that exist out in the marketplace is that they're very limited in their application. So maybe they can only read trailers, for example. So that's something I really love about Verispot that you've been able to do with all the hours of training. The other thing is you talk about the graffiti, but for example, Matt and I have been out with certain customers and you go to a yard and maybe it's never seen a certain type of equipment. So for example, you know, containers may have, you know, four letters and six numbers and, you know, obviously it can read that super simple, but you know, we've gone to certain facilities where maybe it only has one letter and six numbers. Well, maybe the first time it passes it, it doesn't know how to read it, but man, we've gone by again and then it all of a sudden picks it up. So it's been fantastic. And so those are just a couple of the things that, you know, really stood out to me as you were talking that, you know, Matt and I, as we've been out talking to customers have been really awesome. Yeah. And that's really one of the great value adds to it is the private assets that come through facilities, whether it's a rail facility, a customer facility, they're not always uniform as they are with many of the other assets that we see uh, out in the marketplace every single day. No, they're definitely not. All right. So, Matt, let's talk about customers. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. So how do our customers typically think about digitization? What do they mean by that? Yeah, digitization you know, traditionally has been defined as the technology and technical side, you know, the artificial intelligence, the uh, machine learning, the automation, the, the data analysis behind it. Um, but as I was doing some research and preparing here, I was looking at a Get Smarter survey. Over 5,800 people, 128 countries were surveyed. And really what they found is that Although technology is usually at the center, um, it, it's also a human aspect to it that needs to be there within that innovation to really progress the technology, to replace some of the in, and enhance mm -hmm. some of the operational aspects of people's jobs and people's roles. And so, you know, I, I'll circle back. I think you and Mark talked about it wonderfully earlier uh, as you discussed, you know, how our technology is really centric around our people and our expertise that's there. Um, and that's going to, uh, to really continue to be a, a focus as we go. We're not replacing people with technology. We're really enhancing what they do, making it uh, more efficient. Absolutely. Well, and even if you think about the things that we do automate alongside Mark is, you know, it's not the, you know, let's call it sexiest work, right? So we're automating inventory. So it takes, for example, in some of the bigger yards, eight hours to take inventory where somebody's literally walking around and manually taking inventory where, you know, they could be doing higher value added work in a terminal. And so this is really allowing them to do that. And so it really is increased employee engagement upon the terminal. 
Yeah, it's and it's put, taking people who traditionally you know would be doing another role who are mm-hmm. now going into doing these other you know still value added but lower value added than what their role is really defined. Yep. And people aren't happy. We're not able to find a lot of people who want to do the work as it is. And when you're constantly changing roles, there's definitely an impact to the individual. Yep. Agreed. All right. So let's dive a little bit further. So what's the difference between digitalization and digital transformation? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, Digitization is really when analog information is moved into a digital format. Digitalization uses that digitization and technologies to establish a digital process. Digital transformation takes it one step further and goes beyond a singular digital initiative and is really a more holistic approach that leverages the technology to improve business for employees and, and most importantly, for our customers. Absolutely. All right, so that's a great point. So you do a lot of work with the customers, so they feel a lot of business pressures. Can you tell us about some of those pressures and how does the digital transformation help solve some of those pressures? Yeah, customers have a bunch of unique challenges. Um, And I think too, you know, strategically when we talk through technology, as you talk and initially initiate, you know, sales processes and customer conversations, that can mean different things at different levels. And so really working with customers to understand what their strategy is around it at an organizational level, helping to align those different levels also helps as we go through what, what's the long-term plan uh, mm-hmm. for your digitization and how can we help with that. Um, integrating systems is always something that comes up. Um, legacy systems can be really difficult and really rigid. I think you have we, one of those going on right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, those are, those can be difficult, right? Um, I think, you know, in all my years of experience, the people who get the least amount of love when it comes to technology for a long time had been the transportation groups. Uh, it was always seen as a cost center. And yep. so last ones to really innovate. So I think we're starting to see that change because they're able to find savings uh, to be able to find those repetitive um, items that are in the everyday workflow and start to automate those. So I think now customers are starting to come around um, and now we see a lot of different um, you know, tech-focused solutions that are out there um, going in there. You know, we talked about strategy and leadership. That's another big one. Somebody has got to be leading these initiatives within organizations and has to have a really distinct vision for what it goes. And, you know, we want to be a part of, of that strategic initiative as we go through it uh, as a solutions provider That's and right. not just a, a widget seller. And so, um, you know, that's something that we definitely uh, focus on and we want to lead. And then finally, you know, the data collection and analysis, you know, that's a big part of, of what it is. You talked about how you train the machines mm-hmm. uh, to go and do these things. And, you know, while our operators are the experts, when you think about what happens inside a terminal or in a warehouse, there's a lot of unpredictability that goes there because there's a lot of moving pieces, cranes, hostlers, outside drivers. Um, you know, other heavy equipment, then you have people walking around. So you still need operators to see all these things. Where the technology comes in is to enhance them, to be able to call things out that are uh, challenges that are out there that could lead to safety types of issues and really start to aid in their operation. And then again, do things that are, you know, lower value adds that can be done while they operate 
uh, within a terminal. So when you think about Verispot, mm-hmm. doing the inventory while we have somebody who's actually out there operating and doing that work, um, when you think about uh, site IO, being able to take those those gate jobs and to enhance them to find damage, to be able to uh, check in the units and assets as they come through and and not have to physically you know write those things down or enter them in so your margin for error is much less yeah i also like the fact that the systems can talk to each other right because they're on the avira 360 platform together the fact that for example something can come in your gate you can have the system read it so you know something's going to be an inventory and then when verispot's driving around the facility you know that you're you know looking for that and so the ai can work together and for example, if you you know couldn't read a certain number, but you knew that something was inventory from coming in the gate, again they can feed off of each other, making everything all that much more accurate. Yeah, and then on the customer side, when we talked about integrations, mm-hmm. if you have one pathway for integrations of multiple technologies, that's the preferred route. If you have to branch off and and go and engage partners, uh, three different ways to do three different technologies, that's that's adds more cost. Mm -hmm. It's not an efficient use of resources in most cases, and it can just be a rough end customer experience. And so that's where the Averos 360 is is even, uh, you know, more uh, defined is if you you have one pathway for all those technologies to go into use and to flow into a system. Yep. Yeah. I mean, obviously things can be used all the cart, but use them all together and they work even better. Yes. So fantastic. All right, Mark. So one of the areas where people get a little bit scared when we start talking about technology is cybersecurity. Can you tell us about protocols to keep people's data secure? Sean, is a very good question because that is at the forefront of everybody's mind today. So as we have more and more IoT devices, and we'll define IoT as, as things, machines, processes that are at the edge, there is now exposure to the core, which used to be centralized all the way out into the field. So the, what our customers are asking us to do is make sure that anything we put in the network, anywhere we put it, is as secure as if it was locked in a data center. Mm-hmm. The techniques there are obviously, you, you wanna have some zero day um, system in place, process in place that you can identify attacks as they happen or before they happen. So the analogy always is, is that it does you no good if you're you're told, hey, you're being robbed versus being told there's someone at the front door trying to get in to rob you. You prefer the latter. We Absolutely. also have this. From the Avero 360 portfolio perspective, everything was designed and built from the very first line of code to be secure. So we've made sure that everything is, is documented. Everything is, there are no there are there is no extra code that's required to run it. Mm-hmm. Everything is run in microservices. Everything is encrypted. It, the unit speaks to one service to another service via an encrypted link. So even if you were to get into one one service, you couldn't get across to the next. So we've tried to segment the unit as much as possible with our customer data that it is as secure as you can possibly make because there's no such thing as 100% security as you can make it today. Uh, and as we, as there are new enhancements and new uh, threats that we're aware of, we update the system in real time to make sure that those uh, that we keep up to speed with what is the latest threat out there. 
as soon as it leaves the system, we use SSL, we use HTTPS, we use secure, we, we have secured it in the cloud, to the cloud, in the cloud, and to the unit. So we've tried to mitigate any exposure our clients may have to us being the weak link to get into their Yep. I know you've given the customers lots of, um, you know, comfort. I mean, you've had a lot of discussions with some of uh, customers that uh, require very high levels of security. And I know that our protocols have given them what they need to feel safe. So we really appreciate that, Mark. Thank you. I said, I, I, and I don't think that, that it's, and it's, it's important to know it's not something you can add on after. If you're, Absolutely if, not. if your response to your, your request, not tell me how secure you are and it's, let me go find out or let me make it secure for you. It's too late. You're, you're really just painting a picture, uh, painting over, you know, the rust. It's too late. So uh, it's important that, that the, whatever device or product or service you're looking at is designed from the ground up, which are those. And then taking it to that next level, Mark, how about data privacy? Can you tell us a little about the data privacy? Who has access? How are we using it? And how are we protecting it? Absolutely. The, 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 the bottom line is that the, any data that we gather from the machine as it's driving through is the customer's data. It is not our data. What we will ask is that we are able to utilize some of those images to keep constantly updating and training our engines that they become smarter, more efficient, and are able to understand more of what they see. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. All right. So when companies are looking to invest in their enterprise software solutions, they're always asking that question. Is it, am I going to buy? Am I going to build? A lot of that question comes from, I need it to execute and I need it to execute in a specific way. And so when you look about, you know, our products and what they're doing, you know, how do we help them determine whether to buy or whether to build? This really could go either to Matt, as you've been out talking to customers, or you know, Mark, you can help uh, you know layer in some stuff here as well. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to kick it off. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of off-the-shelf type of solutions that are out there, and you know they can be sold as an off-the-shelf, but there's a lot of development that still has to be done to really customize that solution. Uh, when we think about our technology, we're both. Mm -hmm. We're ready to go. We're already developed around what the solution is using our expertise as the backbone for that from an operational standpoint. So we know how the application should be applied and mm -hmm. where it could be applied and where we can add value. And we still have that continuous development aspect that goes along with our technology as well. Yep, exactly. So, Mark, I don't know if you want to even talk about some of the specific, um, you know, customers where you've had to do anything obviously with not naming any names but you know one example is we've had to work with a specific security system or a different yard management system you know another opportunity we can do is we can work with somebody else's driver app or we can create our own but you know you pick um, anything you've had to develop along I think it's a combination I'll, I'll pick the two we, we were asked recently by a client to they have gotten a new YMS system in and they want to then enable that YMS system to be more efficient in the yard. So they'll do more planning while things really happen. So, and, and the example is uh, a truck will pull into the uh, side IO portal. That, that, that YMS has already loaded that, our, the portal with the data to expect Matt 
with license plate number XYZ. When he gets to the portal, the machine there will engage that driver in conversation, meaning, good morning, Matt. We need you to go to welcome to the facility. Please go to dock door six. We know dock door six is open because Verispot is running around in the yard and, and has identified that six is open. When the driver drives to six, the YMS has assumed that the driver, it will take 30 minutes to unload that container. 40 minutes after we pass by, that container is still there. We will tell the YMS that, hey, that container is still there, which allows them to now re-optimize the functionality within the yard. Or if it had left in 15 minutes, here's a new, uh, here's an additional resource that we can now use that door and put someone else in that facility in that position. So it's an active it's an active ecosystem within the yard when they leave, when they come in, what they're doing, how it's operating until they leave. And we're integrating that entire thing with the YMS to get a much more efficient overall product to the client. And Mark, you mentioned, you know, the different systems, right? I, f I feel like every time we go to a customer and we get to the integration pathway, uh, we really haven't seen a lot of situations where we're surprised by what they're using or how they're integrating. You know, I think that that's, again, something that speaks to your expertise and to your knowledge over your, you know, 25 or plus years is have the experience integrating with those different systems mm -hmm. and understanding what it's going to take. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit maybe about just, just what systems uh, you've learned about and, and how that's really helped us when we get to integration with customers? Well, well thank you, Matt. I, I think the, the fundamental uh, takeaway there is that we don't, we know every customer we go to will want something different. That's just, that's just the world we live in. So if you've decided that I'm only going to do it this way, it's, it's going to be a non-starter. So what we did is that we've designed our interface to the client or to their provide their YMS or TOS provider, which is a standard API. And we can modify within that, put the information they want, take out some they don't, or modify how they want to see the information, including images, uh, which enables it to be an extremely efficient, low cost, and fast way to get the data from the Vera360 product set to their YMS or to their own database. And because we are cloud-based, the interface, and which is, if there, are, if our clients are not already in the cloud, they're in the process of going to the cloud. Our interface to them is very easy, very quick, and of course secure. Yeah, and I think in in my experience, you know, both in the the real world, the warehousing distribution side, you know, everybody's always talking about what this full visibility looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, over the road, port to port. And the one part that I feel that gets left out is really what happens inside the terminal, mm -hmm. inside the warehouse itself from a yard standpoint. And really that's where I think we fill in that void in the marketplace yep. is now you do have full visibility because we're giving you that from the time it ships until the time it delivers throughout that process where is it in the yard? When is it empty? Mm -hmm. um, you know, was it damaged? All those pieces that weren't there before, things that even GPS can't be as accurate to find. GPS can tell you it, it's at this facility, 
Site.io, Verispot can tell you, here's where it got, here's when it got to that facility, here's where it is exactly in that facility, here's when it left that facility and who it left with. I think those are things in the marketplace that really set us apart. And, and Matt, one of the, I think that's a very important point because one of the things Verispot also provides for you is that, yes, it came to the facility, we know when it came, we know where it went, and when it moves, if it moves within the facility, it's providing that real-time update. And to, right back to where we started using AI, I, we don't need the operator to stop punching in a VMU to tell us where he went to pick it up or tell us where she dropped it off. The system already is aware of all of that. So we're relieving them from typing, taking off gloves in the winter, right? Uh, or not paying attention and just doing their job more efficiently and a very spot will keep track of where this asset is, even while they're pulling in. A few other points too is um, nothing has to be attached to the container. So with a lot of GPS, you have to attach something to the container. So those things fall off. You have to continue to reattach. Same thing. You don't have to attach RFID. There are also a lot of containers that don't have anything attached right now, especially in the international com uh, community. The other point um, that just you know, further feeds into what you were talking about, Matt, is, you know, there has been a dearth of information, you know, in the terminal space already. But um, you also see that in the total visibility sector that a lot of folks um, don't work together. And so people are like, you have to use all of my products. I won't let my data work with other products. And so that's one of the other things that we strive to do is that we, again, along with that API that Marcus talked about, is we will work with other products. And so that API allows us to work with other YMSs, for example, whereas, you know, there are other people in this industry that are like, nope, it's my, my data and I'm not going to work with other people. If you're going to use this product of mine, then you also have to use that product of mine, so on and so forth. So that's the other thing is that we're willing to be part of larger visibility products, whatever that product may be. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. And I think you go a layer deeper on that, too, is when you think about some of those other applications is the cost is not as upfront because there's initial investment that comes to put the technology in there. Mm -hmm. But then there's this continuous reinvestment that comes with replacing it, uh, breaking it. Uh, you know, with our technology, we're, we're very upfront, very transparent about what the cost is going to be mm -hmm. and how it's going to extrapolate across subsequent years. Yeah. You're also not having to pick up tags off of the ground. <laughs> yes. doesn't make Good sense to employ, some, employ <laughs> someone to, to sweep it up when we're trying to yeah, exactly. uh, add value there. All right. So I think that's the end of all my prepared questions today. Anything further that either of you two want to cover? No, I would just like to, to thank everybody who's out there who's doing uh, the work. It's not easy to go out and, and operate terminals. It's not easy to be a driver. Um, there's a lot of, of people that go thankless throughout. So I would like to thank those people for doing that work uh, and continuing to do it and, and let them know that we strive to not t replace them, but to enhance what their uh, work life is like as we come up with new technologies and continue to uh, to roll out technology across the uh, entire um, transportation and logistics uh, roles. Exactly. Mark, any other further points from you? No, I think Matt about wrapped it up. So I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us again today on the Future Focus Terminal Podcast. I hope you'll subscribe and join us again next time. For more information about Con Global, visit our website at www.conglobal.com. 
Until next time, take care.